It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see each one of you here. I'm glad you're in the house of God. I'm glad we could assemble together uh, in this fashion form again this morning. Thank the Lord for the privilege to be here. And I know maybe some are not here this morning, but we're glad that each one of you are here. And it's been uh, um, a lot of back and forth on the weather, but I'm glad the Lord saw fit to allow us to have weather good enough to come and assemble together in the house of God this morning. Thank the Lord for it. Um, I thought about, I don't remember how many services ago, I don't think it was last Sunday, maybe two Sundays ago, uh, that was mentioned, Brother Tim did in the Sunday school hour. I'm glad I didn't get up this morning hoping that there's enough snow to not get to come to church. <clears throat> there's a lot of people do that, and uh, shamedly so. But I'm glad this morning that there was an excitement in my heart to be able to come together and be together with the people of God in the house of God this morning. Thank the Lord for it. And really, I've said it before and I'll say it again this morning, the highlight of the week for the child of God in this life should be to come together with the people of God. I mean, it should take precedence over everything else in our life. Coming together in the place that God's placed us in, among the people God's put us with, ought to be the highlight of our week. And a joy to be here. And I know there are times because we live in this flesh and we still have battles and struggles and turmoils and, and uh, we struggle with things. Sometimes our <clears throat> desire is not as strong as it is at other times. Sometimes the, the joy or the want to is not as strong as it is at other times. But if it's a drudgery, every service to come to the house of God, then something's wrong on the inside. But I'm glad there's a joy in the, the heart of the people of God to come to the house of God and to hear from God. And it's every part of the service ought to be a joy. It ought to be a joy to sing together. It ought to be a joy to be in the Sunday school hour together. It ought to be a joy to hear the preaching together. And uh, we ought to come to get in and get what the Lord has for us. Many people come to the house of God to get out. They come check it off their list, make themselves feel good, and then go home. And that's not why we ought to come. I hope that's not why we've come this morning. But I hope that we've come to get in and get what the Lord has for us. And to hear from heaven. And that that's what we need in these days. It was mentioned this morning and I'm trying just to be sensitive to what I feel in my heart. Mentioned this morning somewhat about preaching. Just in passing. There were some things said about what preaching is and what preaching ain't. I feel like maybe I ought to say a little bit more about that and then maybe I'll read Scripture. We live in a day today where preaching is gauged by a lot of measurements that are not biblical. Preaching is not mannerisms. It doesn't make a preacher. Nor does it make what the preacher is saying preaching. There, we have enough, we don't have to travel outside of our area to know enough about mannerisms. But I've been to some other places, and it's not just here where we live that they gauge preaching by the mannerisms of the preacher. People think if a preacher doesn't get loud enough, then he's not preaching. People think that if a preacher doesn't spit and slobber or hack a little bit while he's preaching, that he's not preaching. I've been in other places and heard other customs, and I mean just foolishness. Some believe that 
in other places where I've been, if the preacher don't take his text and close his Bible, then he's not preaching. Some believe that if a preacher has notes of any kind, that he's not preaching. But those mannerisms, either do's or don'ts, don't make a preacher and they don't make preaching. I want to say that motions don't make preaching. And however you want to take that, I think it can be applied a lot of ways. Motions of the people in response to whatever the preacher's saying does not technically make it preaching. Emotions getting stirred does not make what's being said or done preaching. The motions of the preacher while he's preaching does not make it preaching. Even the message, don't, I mean, bear with me, don't fall out with me. Even the message technically does not make preaching preaching. Just because he has good content and the data is right does not technically make it preaching. I mean, anybody can get up and thank God for the Scripture. It is right. And I'm not doing any, no detriment to the Scripture. But just because a man can read some verses and tell you some good things that may be biblically accurate does not make it preaching. But the manifestation of the power of God is what makes preaching preaching. The movement of the Spirit of God is what makes a preacher a preacher. And really the approval of the Spirit of God is for God to move on the spirit of the man. The, the, the approval of God on a preacher and on his preaching will be in the proof that the Spirit of God is moving on the man and on the message. God will, will not put his approval on anything that's not preaching. That's what makes preaching preaching. Now, God will move on a man and him never raise his voice. God will move on a man if he doesn't meet the mannerisms and the characteristics that other preachers that we are all made as we are. God calls us as we, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And he knows who we, and I'm not, they're all, you say, well, preacher, are you preaching about people that are not qualified? No, there are plenty of qualifications God lays out in 1 Timothy. And I still believe in them. And, but we, we are living in a day where everybody wants to hinge a preacher's qualifications on one qualification. And I still believe in it, that they're to be the husband of one wife. It's in the book. But we forget about all those other things that also disqualify a man. That is right. But what I'm saying is that God and His approval is what makes a preacher a preacher. And it's what makes preaching preaching. Mannerisms, a lot of people can't do anything about... We were having a conversation, I think, me and Brother Jacob, this week about... I said, I don't even know some of the things I do. It's just, you know, there are some things I don't... There are some things I do know that I do that I don't particularly like. And I've tried to change them. And and some of them, maybe I should put more effort in, but some of them I can't change for for anything. I mean, I just can't fix it. I want to fix it. And I want to be different about some things. But we all have our own mannerisms. But our mannerisms don't make us men of God. And mannerisms don't make the message. And that doesn't make the preacher or preaching. But the moving of the Spirit of God. I'm glad God looks over our mannerisms a lot. If He didn't, I'd be in bad shape. But I'm glad for the Spirit of God. I'm glad I know what preaching. I'm not saying that I'm the thermometer. None of us are. God is the thermometer for preaching. That is right. We ought never get 
to, and let me say this while I'm there, majority of the time, now there are a few instances that may take exception, majority of the time you can't tell about a preacher just after hearing him preach one time. There are a lot of people that hear a man and his mannerisms and they're not looking for the right thing anyway. Their mannerisms don't line up or their method or whatever and so they write them off. You better be careful doing that. But then on the other hand, you better be careful being too long suffering with a man who never, ever, ever has the power of God. If they consistently do not have the power of God, we have to beware. It's what the Bible said. There were some that would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. And Paul did not say associate a few times or try to bear with them. He said from such, turn away. Because it breeds deception. To gauge preaching by anything other than the power of God breeds deception among the people of God. So that's why we have to be careful. And I don't know why I felt like I need to say that, but all through Sunday school, I dealt with it, wrestled with it, and I thought, well, I'm going to have to say this, so I did. And so I'm glad to know what preaching is by the help of God. And uh, I don't always preach when I preach, if you understand that. Not every man that's called of God and has the power of God, he may not necessarily get where he wants to be every time. Probably not most of the time. But I am glad for a few times when we get beyond ourselves and the power of God moves among us and helps us. And that's what we're in need of in this day. That's what we're in need of in this day. James chapter 4, if you have a copy of the Word of God this morning. Want to turn with us? We'll be in the book of James, chapter number 4. Try to read a few verses here and give you what's on our heart. By the help of God, if you'll pray for us, that God will touch us. James chapter 4, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. James chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but He giveth more grace? Wherefore, He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning if God will be my helper on submitting to God. Submitting to God. That's an unpopular subject to preach about in our day. And it was probably unpopular when James wrote about it in his day. It's a hard thing. It's one of those things that when a preacher preaches about it, they want to go away saying how hard it was to hear the message that had to be preached. But mankind's not changed. They did the same thing to Christ when He stood that day and told them that except they ate His flesh and drank His blood, that they could not inherit the kingdom of God. And they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And many walked away and walked no more with Him. Jesus turns to His disciples and asks them the question, as all of these multitudes of people are going away, He said, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up, we're often hard on him, but he got it right on this day. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And he said, and we are persuaded and aren't sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said, if we're going to go anywhere else, can you tell us where we can go and get what we can get from you? The reality is that sometimes in our life, it was mentioned this morning and I guess kind of carried over uh, to the beginning of the service that, that sometimes the preaching is reproof and rebuke and, and exhortation and reality though uh, we struggle with that sometimes the reality is that the same message can be all at the same time. There is reproof, uh, there is rebuke. Reproof is uh, simply pointing out where we should be that we're not. A rebuke is to show us where we are that we should not be and then exhortation is to encourage us to not do what we should not do and to do what we should do and so if God touches a man and puts a power on him and the message goes forth there can be reproof rebuke and exhortation all at the same time but it will never occur without the help of God being on a man that's why Paul charged Timothy to preach the word and in preaching and doing and fulfilling in the call of God, he would reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so this morning when it's on my heart and I preach to you this morning about submitting to God, I pray that God will help me and touch me and that I might preach to you and you might find all that you need this morning in learning about what it is and why it is that we are called to submit unto God. Now I believe that the way the Holy Spirit put it on the heart of James to write this letter or write 
this chapter. Now I believe in my studies at least what I can understand uh, that verse number 7 is the hinge of the whole chapter. It's at least uh, the hinge of the first 10 verses. Everything else uh, revolves around that. But I'm amazed at the fact or the way that the Holy Spirit worked in the heart of James to pin this chapter that James did not start off verse number 1 and say submit yourself to God. Now if I'd been the one writing the chapter, I'm just speaking about but in my own experience and my mindset, the way I process things, I would have jumped straight to it and said, submit yourself to God and this is why. But that's not how the Holy Spirit led James to do. But rather, knowing what's in men and our resistance to this idea of submitting to God God lays out through the handwriting of James every reason why that we should submit to God. And then he says, because of this, submit yourself therefore to God. Now see, we have a problem because we live in the flesh. We have a problem submitting to anyone else's authority. The word submit, and I wrote this down because I didn't want to get it wrong. And to study the word submit in this verse and in other places in the Word of God, it is a military term. And it means to arrange under command of a leader. It means that you are a subordinate to someone in higher authority over you. And in the military, they don't act, they don't speak, they don't step, they don't do anything without a direct command being given by their superior. They are subordinate or submissive under Him. And that is the way that God designed it for us as His people to walk and live and act in our Christian experience is we're to do it under the command of the Spirit of God. That we are to submit ourselves. Ain't that something? That James said submit. Now he could have said just submit therefore to God. But James says submit yourselves therefore to God. I can't submit you to God and you can't submit me to God. We have to submit ourselves unto God. And if we don't submit, if we're going to take this definition and its application, if we don't submit, There are consequences for the child of God living their life without submission to the authority of God. And apparently James here is not writing to lost folks. He's writing to believers. Apparently there is a a way, there is a lifestyle where the child of God can live at times without submitting to the authority of God. And he lays it out. And everything that he lays out, if we look around in our day, it is evident that many of the people of God are living their day-to-day Christian experience without submission to the will of God. But the word submit's not only a military term. That means to come under the command of a leader but it's also used in a non-military way. And I want you to hear this. This is what the definition says. 
It is a voluntary attitude of giving in. It is cooperating, assuming responsibility, and being willing to carry the burden. That's what the word submit means. It is a voluntary attitude of giving in. When we come to the place, and it'll be a blessed place in the life of the believer, when we come to the place that we voluntarily submit ourselves to the authority of God and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in full cooperation. I assume responsibility as a child of God. I'm willing to get under the burden and carry the load. I submit myself unto you. That's where we need to be. Now why is it? Why is it that we need to submit to God? Why is it that this command is given to the people of God to submit themselves unto God? Well, James is going to lay it out. He says in every verse just builds upon the previous. And he lays it out step for step, reason by reason, in the first six verses of why that we must, it's not a want to, it's not a just a need to, but it's a must that if we're going to have what we need to have and have the experience of our Christian life that God desires for us and has designed for us, we must submit ourselves to God. Why? Many people will ask that. Why? It's kind of like children. You tell them to do something and they want to say, why? And most often the answer is, because I said so. And the reality is this, and I'm not being mean this morning or preaching rough, but the reality is that would be reason enough for me to say this morning that we're supposed to submit because God said so. That's enough. That's reason enough. If we're born of God, He's our Father, He's our authority, we're to do what He says, and so if He says submit, then that's reason enough to submit unto God. But He didn't just leave it there. He went on to tell of what is going on in the life of the children of God who are not submitting unto God. He said in verse number one, there are wars and fightings among you. Now there are people, writers, who have different opinions about what this means. Some say that James meant literally that there were fightings among the people of God. And I'll say that if people, that there are two people of God, two children of God, who are not submitting to God, then they will have war, they will have disputes, they will have conflicts, and it's real hard to come to a resolution if we're not willing to submit ourselves unto God. But I think greater than this is the fact that James is going to go on to say, and James is not going to be the only one, Paul's going to talk about it, and others in the Scripture, that there are wars and fightings within us, among us. Every one of us have wars and fightings going on. He said they're coming because of the lust that war in your members. So there's a war in our members. That is within us. 
that is between the natural man, the carnal man, the flesh, and then the inner man, the spiritual man, the spirit. There's wars going on in us. Paul said in Romans that he found it a law that when he would do good, that evil is always present with him. And I think we took that scripture, it's been applied to Satan and the emissaries and the demonic forces, but I don't think that's what Paul meant. He never mentions Satan, never mentions an adversary, but he goes on to say, oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death. And so the evil that's always present with the child of God who is trying to do good and right is the nature of the flesh, the Adamic nature of the unsaved portion of us that we carry about and struggle with all our days in this life. And so there's a war. Paul said, I find it a law. Paul said it's for every child of God. It's not just maybe so. It's not just some of the time. But it's day in and day out. There's a wrestling going on inside of us. And the only way to overcome the flesh is for the spiritual man to be in complete submission unto God. I was listening this morning. I started to say just by coincidence, but it wasn't by coincidence. I didn't know anything about what the preacher was going to preach. But I was listening this morning on the way home from Nana's house. I spent the night with her last night. I was on the way home this morning and he was preaching about Shimei. Many of you may not even recognize that name. But when David uh, assumed power and then there was a struggle with Absalom and David fled, there was a man by the name of Shimei and he cussed David and he spit on him. He cast dust on him. Not only David but also all of his mighty men and all the ones that were following after him and the mighty men they wanted to do something about it they said let's take care of it right now and David said it's not time to deal with him permit him to do what he's going to do don't acknowledge it he is what he is and we're going to go on and do what we need to do and that preacher was preaching I never had thought about it before but shimmy eyes the type of the flesh and that is right shimmy eyes shimmy eyes and that's all he's ever going to be. And that's all he's ever concerned with. And that's exactly how the flesh is. The flesh is the flesh. You can't make the flesh do any better. You can't make the flesh get any better. You can't make the flesh be anything other than the flesh. Many people spend all day making their flesh look better, but in reality, we can make it look better all we want to. And I'm not condemning that this morning. I'm just preaching. But the reality is the flesh is the flesh is the flesh. And it was not dealt with on that day. And right now, you and I, I don't know about you, but there are days I think, Lord, it'd be good to deal with this flesh and get rid of this flesh. But there did come a day that David did not deal with it, but his son did. And the Bible said that David charged his son to remember what Shimei did and to not hold him guiltless. And I'm telling you, there's coming a blessed day. Thank the Lord that the Lord's going to come and return and take us out of here. And when He does, He's going to deal with the flesh. And so these wars and fightings that are going on amongst us, within us, are a reason why we need to submit to God. He said in verse number 2, you lust and have not. Now I want you to listen to the language. 
you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You war, you fight and war, and yet you have not because you ask not. There's a struggle going on in verse number two. And it's constantly trying to have something that can never be fully attained. And that is the day we're living in. People are constantly after things that seemingly to them for whatever reason he's going to go on in the next verse and it talks about asking amiss and that means selfishly or pridefully or gluttonfully wanting it for yourself and we are living in a day where the people of God are spiritually bankrupt because they're, trying, they're too busy trying to climb social ladders and achieve social status and have things and stuff and there's nothing wrong with things and stuff but when it takes precedence over submitting ourselves to God there's a problem somewhere people in this life I'm talking about saved folk now we preach about lost folk but that's not (coughs) that's not the context of this scripture there are a lot of lost people out there people in the world that are trying to fill the void that's inside of them that only Christ can fill with all kinds of stuff and it never does work, it never will work. But I'm going to tell you after salvation, the, ble- the most blessed place for a child of God to be is to have their life in submission unto God. And if you don't have your life in submission unto God, that make you any less a child of God, but there will be a war, a constant a get, trying to get something, satisfy something, and it'll never occur until we submit ourselves unto God. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, we're living in a day where many people uh, labor more because of what people think about them than they do about what God thinks about them. Many people are doing things because they believe it will gain them prestige or it will get them in among the brethren rather than being concerned about being pleasing in the sight of God. And that's why it's this never-ending cycle that they get in and get out and get in. I'm not talking about in and out of salvation or in and out of church, but they run with this crowd a while and it seems to do good, but they're not submitting to God. They're submitting to a crowd. And when they can't live up to that crowd's expectations back out they go and they start the cycle all over again and all over again that's why we must submit ourselves unto God now I've heard people say I want you to hear me this morning I've heard people say that they don't care what anybody else thinks about them and you better watch people that say stuff like that Because the reality is we can't change the nature of our flesh. We are going to care about what people think about us. It's natural. Anybody that doesn't care, I mean if they really don't care what people think about them, they have a problem. But the problem is when people care, the people of God care more about what everybody else thinks about them than they do about what God's approval upon them is. And that's where we are in this day. The reason that certain movements, and I'm going to say this, it just come to my heart, back to the preaching thing. Just because a preacher has a whole bunch of meetings does not technically mean that he's preaching. Meetings don't make a preacher and they don't make preaching. 
But we live in a day where everybody just assumes because so many people strive to fit the mold of a certain denomination or a certain group of people. And I have no apologies for being a Baptist, but being a Baptist is not the main thing. Being a Baptist is not going to matter in eternity. But being right with God, that's what's going to matter. And for the child of God, we're not going to stand one day and give an account to the Baptists or to whatever movement or whatever group of people, whatever circle, that we're not going to give an account to any of them, but we're going to give an account unto God whether or not we submitted ourselves to Him or not. And really, if you want my opinion, I'm going to say that this is my opinion. The Bible said that we're going to stand and give an account unto God for every deed. Those of us that are saved, we're not standing at the judgment seat to see whether or not we're saved. We're standing at the judgment seat of Christ because we are saved and we're going to give an account for every deed done in the body. And I personally believe according to this scripture that every deed done in the body is going to fall in one or two categories. We either did it because we were in submission unto God and we did it because we were not in submission unto God I don't know what all is going to go on there and don't there's nobody that does that's between God and us when we get there well, I don't know what all. I don't know if every single deed's going to be laid out. I don't know what all's going to go on. But I know there's going to be some account given. And I think that according to Scripture, it's going to fall in one or two categories. It's either the child of God lived their life day in and day out, did what they did because they were in submission unto God, or they did what they did because they were not in submission unto God. And so he says we do it because... There's a war. We do it because there's this spiritual bankruptcy. There's this striving for things we cannot obtain. We do it because, verse number 3, we're asking and not receiving because we're asking amiss. The word amiss means not as it ought to be, wrongly, evil, selfishly. And we're doing it because of our lust. You can't follow your lust of your flesh and be in submission unto God. And the text goes on and on. You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The world's a friendly place. They want to pull you in, but the friendship of the world is a false friendship that many are falling for. Verse number 5, Do you think, James is asking them a question, do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us, us lusteth the envy. There's a lustful spirit inside of man. And the only way to deal with that spirit is to submit to God. And verse number 6 is the answer, the cure, the remedy for verse 5, but He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, submit yourselves, therefore to God. So James lays out all the whys. And I really don't feel like I need to spend a whole lot of more time uh, preaching to you about why. But what does it mean? I got three things on my heart. So the whys. Now what does it mean to submit to God? Biblically, what does it mean? Now we've talked about the definitions and they encompass and cover. Now I don't know much more that could be said. 
that we are coming under His command, that we voluntarily resign our will, our wants, our wishes to Him. We assume responsibility. We get under the burden. We're cooperative with the Spirit of God. That's what it means. But there's, there are Bible illustrations, Bible allegories to show us what it means for the child of God to be submissive to God. I personally think in studying and reading and trying to find the mind of God for the service this morning, I think one of the greatest allegories or types or pictures in the Scripture of being in submission unto God is found in the Gospels. When the Lord is getting ready to make what we label His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and He tells the disciples, go over into the next city, you'll find a coat tied. Well, never man is set. Loose him and bring him to me. The Bible said they went. Jesus said, if any man asks, tell him the Lord has need of him and he'll let you go. They went, did as the Lord said, brought him back, put their garments on him, and Jesus sat upon the colt. That's a type and a picture of the child of God being submission unto God. Number one, we take our place. It's who we are. See, that cult was not just... We read that. We read that Scripture. We read the account. That's in Mark 11, I think. But Matthew is more specific, and so is Zechariah chapter 9. We read that Scripture in Mark, and we think, well, Jesus go, sends His disciples to go get the beautiful cult of a horse. Some regal, but that's not what He rode into town on. It was not a cult of a horse. It was a colt of an ass, of a mule. It's what the Bible said. In Zechariah chapter 9, the prophecy is given that the king will come in riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. In Matthew's gospel, it says that it's with the mother who is the mule tied with it. And they loose the colt and bring it to the Lord. You say, what's the difference? Well, in the book of Exodus, we find out that any child, any colt that's born of a mule or an ass is unclean. And in order for that to live, a lamb has to die. That's the only way that the, the colt of a mule could be spared alive is they had to sacrifice a lamb to spare the life of the colt. That was a law. If they weren't willing to shed the blood, spare, or to give the life of a lamb, they had to take the life of the colt. There's only one of two options. Either the lamb dies or the colt dies. And so that's who we are. We're unclean within ourselves. We have no glory within ourselves. That was said this morning in Sunday school, and it is right. I'm afraid too often in, in our Christian life, not talking about arrogance or pride, but too often we, we lead on this line or follow this line or embrace this line that we're nothing. And in ourselves we are nothing. But in Christ we're everything. But, but because of Him, it's not because of who we are. We're going to trace it back to who we are. We're all in trouble because we're all unclean. Thank God the Lamb was willing to die so that we could live. That's why He came. He didn't come to live. He told the disciples over and over and over again, I came to die and give myself a ransom for all men. And so the Lamb had to die. But then the Bible specific. The Lord said, Well, never man has sat. 
And so not only is this coat unclean, but this coat is, is doing something that is so unnatural. You don't just, now I've not been around horses and mules much, but I've been around them enough to know if one's not broke to ride, you don't just throw something on it and jump on and go to riding. Because it's unnatural. Well, what James is telling through the Spirit of God about submitting to God for the flesh, it's unnatural. The flesh does not want to be in submission unto God. And the reason is because it's uncomfortable. That's why a horse that's never been broke or a mule, that's, ne- it, that's why it kicks or it bucks against it. It's because what's going on is uncomfortable. And that's why oftentimes in our life the flesh rises up because to be in submission to God is uncomfortable. But the Bible said they loosed the coat whereon every man had sat, brought it to Jesus, put their coats thereon, and Jesus got on it and rode it into town. And what the coat did, it may have been unnatural and it may have been uncomfortable, but it was unquestioned. He never said, what are you doing? He never resisted. He never fought against it. And I'm afraid in our Christian experience, we're spending all our effort and all our energy fighting against the will of God for our life. Because it's unnatural for the flesh to submit. And it's uncomfortable at times. You know as well as I do that you've been safe for any length of time of doing the will of God. It's not living in your comfort zone. Often more than not, it will push you outside your comfort zone. I've actually heard, had people tell me, and, and I don't know what to respond except the Lord will help you. I mean, I'm not going to criticize them because I know what it, we all, we can't, we're not here this morning to give an account on how everybody else is submitted. James said, submit yourselves therefore to God. I've had people tell me I'd go a little farther with God or I'd get a little closer with God, but I'm afraid God will make me and then whatever they want to do, they fill in the blank. I'm afraid if I get closer with God, God might make me testify. I'm afraid if I get closer with God, God will make me shout. I'm afraid if I do this or I do this, God will make me do The reality is, it's uncomfortable to submit to God in the flesh. But it is our duty and our obligation and our command and it ought to be our joy in the Spirit. The Spirit man is never satisfied anywhere else but being in submission unto God. And the only way for your spirit man to be the victor to overcome the flesh is for him to be in submission unto God. We ought to do it unquestionable. And it's it's our nature. It doesn't matter this morning how long you've been saved or, or where you feel you've been with God or what position you hold or have held in the past. It's still the nature of the flesh to want to resist the will of God. But if we'll submit ourselves unto God, then it becomes, the more you submit... The more you get under Him, the more you resign your will and your will. I'm not saying it'll ever get easy, but easier it gets the more you put it into practice. I was reading Mark chapter 11 about that coat, and I just stopped, and the conviction 
come on my heart and I said, Lord, help me be like him. Just unquestionable. When you say it, I don't take time to figure out if it makes sense. And I'm going to tell you, that's a big problem in our church world today. We're trying to make the will of God make sense for our life. And it never will make sense up here. But for the spirit man, nothing else makes sense but the will of God. See, that's part of that war. To the flesh, the will of God never makes sense. To the spirit man, the will of God always makes sense. And so there's a war among them. And the only way to get victory over the flesh in this life is to submit yourself unto God. Because then James is going to talk about what comes from being submitted to God. See, everybody, and I know a lot of people, people I love, care about, work with, some I work for, make the statement all the time, well, the Bible says resist the devil. It does. And it says he'll flee from you. But he won't until you fulfill step number one, and that's submit yourself to God. It, there's a reason that it comes in the order it comes in. He does not say, resist the devil, he'll flee from you so you can submit to God. He says, step one, submit to God. Then you can resist the devil. And the reason you can't without being in submission is you can't resist the devil without the help of the one living inside you and you'll not have full access to that help in the capacity it ought to be until you have submitted yourself unto God. So he says if we submit ourselves to God, then we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. I want to say there's a lot, and I know this is Sunday morning. I thought, Lord, this is not what I need to preach on Sunday morning, but as far as I'm a heart, I don't know anything else to do. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about a lot of things regarding the devil. I feel like the ability to do what's written in James is misunderstood because we leave out the missing key submitting to God. Everybody wants to resist the devil and have him flee from them. Nobody really wants to submit to God. But I also feel like I need to say while I'm there that not everything that happens in your life is a direct result of the devil. And really, unfortunately, the reason so many people save people, people I really believe are saved, won't blame the devil for everything, is they don't know any better. And number two, it's a cop-out for a lot of people. You, you, you heard the phrase, the devil, the devil never made you do anything. You're a free will agent. And if you would submit, and I'm talking to safe folk now, if, you're a, if you would submit yourself unto God, you could resist Him and He would flee from you. But it's easier on our flesh to minimize what we've done when we, when we emphasize the impact or the the effect the devil has on us, but not everything. We don't sin because the devil made us do it. We sin because of our flesh and that it's not in subjection to God. And every sickness that comes is not the devil. Some sickness may be, but the majority of sickness that comes is because we live in this body of death. And every day we live, this body is one day closer to the dust it was made from. 
And it's just a natural part of life. And so we've got to be careful about these things. We've got to be careful how we handle the Scripture. It's in there. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But not before you submit yourself to God. And then verse number 8. I've been guilty of just quoting it. And there's nothing wrong I don't think with quoting it by itself. Drawn out of God. He'll draw out of you. You can't do that until you submit to God. Matter of fact, it almost reads like it's a one, two, three. Submit yourself, resist the devil, and draw now to God. If you're not submitted, you can't resist the devil. If you've not submitted and resisting the devil, then you can't draw nigh unto God. To resist means to withstand. But it does not just mean withstand. Because if it just meant withstand, then we could just say, well, we can do it in our own. But the word resist means to come against with a host with you. It means you've called reinforcements. You say, how do I do that? Submit to God. When you submit to God, you have called the reinforcements. And that is what enables you to resist the devil and for him to flee from you. The word flee means to turn and run. The word flee literally means to want nothing to do with. When you have a host of God on your side, and with you, and coming with you, and resisting for you, that really is what the Scripture... It's not that we technically are resisting because we don't have the power. We have submitted to God and He is resisting for us. And then that enables us to draw. Not that, that deals with distractions. That deals with wrong desires. That deals with temptations. That deals with all of those things that pull us apart. And when we get all of those things dealt with by the power working in us, then that enables us to draw nigh to God and for Him to draw nigh unto us. Now we want to quote all those others, and I said we. We want to quote, we want to be able to resist the devil. We want to be able to draw nigh to God and Him draw nigh to us. But we leave out the missing link. The key to it all is to submit yourself therefore to God. Because God said so, but also because of all the things that are produced in the life of the believer who is not submitted unto God. Lord, help us. Lord, help I'll say, Lord, help me. This is not a take a gauge or a thermometer of everybody else sitting around you. If that's what you've done the whole service, I've not been of any benefit or help to you this morning. James said, submit yourselves. It's not husbands submit your wives and wives submit your husbands. It's submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Drawn out of God. He'll draw out of you if you'll submit yourself to God. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to have been in Your house with Your people. Lord, I've tried my